Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. And courtesy of Brandt, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplies, those beautiful uh, green machines, of course, uh, with a touch of yellow, are also experts in all things agriculture, so get to uh, their branches throughout the North Island, uh, the good people at Brandt. Busy show today, and we're going to begin it with uh, David Pilkington. Uh, David was the chair of the Independent Review Panel. Uh, we've just seen uh, the fallout from uh, the release of that report. There's been some headlines on stuff, etc. We're going to catch up with David uh, about uh, those findings, uh, and that's coming up very shortly. We'll have a talk back on that just after 9.30. Your opportunity to uh, say your piece about the NPC rugby and the governance of New Zealand rugby. Love to hear from you on 0800 150811. Uh, just after 10 o'clock this morning, we'll talk to uh, George Berry. Uh, he's the head of engagement at Canterbury Rugby. They're taking uh, their Canterbury versus Taranaki game to the Rangiora Showgrounds. It's going to be a spectacular day out. Uh, so we'll talk to George about that. The bulletin with Alex Chapman this morning. Uh, and then after 11 o'clock, we're going to stay in Christchurch as well because uh, we're going to go and talk to uh, Jed Laurie, who's the Canterbury Bulls coach, because the uh, Rugby League uh, Premiership, uh, which involves uh, teams from right throughout the country, gets underway this weekend. So catch up with Jed on uh, how his team is looking and the format, etc., of this uh, intriguing competition, which could be a feeder, you never know, uh, to some players getting through into uh, in. RL status. A sports desk uh, with Brian this morning uh, and that'll be uh, just before 11.30. We'll have the Stump Smithy uh, which of course will give you the Arepa drinks but we'll also uh, be in for the Friday freebie. Uh, of course your chance to uh, put a leg of the multi in. We've got a couple sorted out. We'll go into that a little bit later in the show and uh, before we hand over to staff of course we'll catch up with Greg O'Connor. Greg O'Connor who uh, is our harness racing pundit for the day. Well, it won't be breaking news to you punters living and breathing the game daily, but there's no escaping the reality that the governance of rugby in this country needs a major rethink and fast, apparently. The New Zealand Rugby Governance Review Port, a report was released yesterday morning. It was based from extensive consultation with rugby stakeholders and interested parties, both in person and through a well-publicised submission process. The findings, it's fair to say, were alarming and highlights a confused organisation that has dysfunctioned from the board way through to the way the game at grassroots level is administered. Uh, David Pilkington has uh, been highly experienced and respected figure in boardrooms for decades around this country, uh, covering so many options, along with Anne Irwin, Faimutu Jews and Graham Morey, all very experienced people in business and in rugby as well. Uh, they were commissioned to do that and uh, David was the chair of this uh, independent panel and he joins us uh, this morning. David, thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Ian. David, uh, who asked for this process and uh, how long did it take? The, uh, the origins of the process really began with the Players Association and the, the fallout over the Silver Lake uh, deal. You'll recall um, the first um, proposal put forward by the rugby union out to its provinces um, and supported by them um, was rejected by the Players Association. What followed was quite a public spat over over whether uh, the proposal was was the right way to go, and ultimately, of course, it got renegotiated and a new deal was put forward. Part of the Players Association support for that new deal was that a review be undertaken. So it was really the Players Association pushing for this, 
But in fairness, um, New Zealand rugby uh, really got in behind it. And Dame Patsy in particular, when she took over the chair, was very, uh, was very supportive of a thorough, detailed review into the governance and the constitution. So, David, how have we got to the point that effectively it seems we've got a lot of the wrong people running the game in this country? Uh, yeah, look, what we were asked to do was, was answer the primary question of whether the, the current constitution and governance was fit for purpose. And, and our response quite clearly in the report is that it is not. So how has that come about? Well, they've got a very convoluted process for electing directors onto the board of New Zealand Rugby. Now, Ian Impey, when he was chair of New Zealand Rugby, he implemented a number of changes that took, um, took the direction towards trying to get more independent appointments on that board and try and get away from the old... Um, process whereby, you know, the New Zealand Rugby Council um, comprised the 26 provincial union members. They came to Wellington at an annual meeting and they elected uh, people onto the board. As a consequence, most of the people who were elected were really provincial union um, chairman or, um, you know, uh, directors of provincial rugby. Ian moved Ian MP moved that process to to a sort of a three-channel election process. Uh, it's very convoluted and complicated. There's an elected category, a nominated category, and an appointed category. And um, frankly, um, a lot of people within rugby we spoke to uh, couldn't even explain the process to us. It's it's complicated and it deters a lot of people from standing. So, you know, it really starts with the Constitution. They've got to change the way in which uh, good people uh, identified and appointed to the board, and then to ensure that they don't lose contact with the membership, uh, which is always a challenge in these, in these federal structures. You know, you've got to keep the the membership base informed, engaged, and on side. So that's where we were proposing this council, and it's no, it, it's not novel. It's it's exactly what Fonterra do with their business. They have their board, and then they have their cooperative council. Zespri do it in terms of the effort they put into growing roadshows and keeping the um, you know the membership base uh, very close, as do. People like uh, food stuff. So, look, it's it's really you know rather than focus on you know throw the whole lot out and start again type thing. I think you've really got to start with you know how is the how is the board put together, and um, we think that this process would be would be very helpful for the existing board to take more control over who sits around that table, how long they sit around it. And that's another point because, you know, the current tenure, average tenure of directors on New Zealand rugby at the moment is under three years. So, you know, you can't operate an effective government structure where you've got this revolving door, you don't know necessarily who you're going to get served up, 
um, in the process. Uh, it's just poor governance, and that's what we've attempted to address. David, just uh, how powerful then are, are the unions? Um, because uh, these these will be revelations to a lot of people, you know, of uh, the fact that the provincial unions basically still uh, are the ones that have to be convinced about this. Just how powerful are they, and how hard do you think it's going to be getting them in line with these thoughts? Um, well, certainly they're powerful. I mean, they're the members of the incorporated society, the 26 members. Votes are allocated across that membership uh, on the basis of how many teams, registered teams, they have in their provinces. So clearly the bigger unions get more votes. Um, it's fair to say under the current structure that uh, the five biggest unions control more than 25% of the vote. So yes, it is going to be uh, a challenge to to get all the unions on side. But what I would say is that, you know, where we, wherever we went, there was an acknowledgement out in rugby land that they've got issues and things aren't, things aren't being addressed. So, you know, it's that, it's that old adage that, well, if you're unhappy about the way it's, it's operating, surely you've got to be open to consider other other potential um, pathways. And the other thing I would say is, you know, we tend to refer to the 26 provincial unions as sort of, you know, one homogenous group. But even across that union base, you know, there's a huge difference between a Heartland union and an NPC union. And then there's the NPC unions that sit in the heart of a super um, franchise. So, you know, what we found was out in the heartland unions, you know, the Poverty Bays, the East Coast, Horofanoas, Wanganoos, they, you know, they, they really are focused on community rugby. And there's some great things happening out there. Um, but then you've got the NPC unions, the big ones who, you know, who see success as winning the competition. And uh, then you've got all the feeder um, academies into super rugby. So across that union base, there's a wide range of views. What we're hoping is that this review, uh, through its wide consultation, will really encourage all of the unions to get around the table and say, you know, how can we improve the way we run and administer the sport? David, uh, what about uh, Maori and uh, Pacific representation here? Because if you look, I mean, if you watch on television, if you go to the games, it is an increasing number of Maori and Pacific players making up our top teams, our NPC teams, our Super Rugby teams. What about uh, their level of representation? Again, um, I mean, your observation is absolutely correct. And not only now in New Zealand teams, we're seeing it in other international teams where the domination of of um, Pacific Island players is 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 starting to to uh, to be felt. Yeah, we it, it, we certainly felt that um, Pacifica and Maori voices were were not well um, invited and heard. I mean, the you know we've still got a situation where the uh, New Zealand Maori Rugby Board uh, isn't um, empowered to select their own chair. The chair of the 
Maori Rugby Board is selected by the, the New Zealand Rugby Union, which today in today's uh, age seems bizarre. So we did we did note in our report that um, there needs to be much more effort to bring Pacifica voice and Maori voice around the around the table, and we stopped short of saying, you know, let's have a representation model that ensures they have one place and around the table and someone else has another place. What we would prefer to see is a professional board who, you know, will clearly recognise the importance of those uh, Pacifica and Maori participants and you know, they will want to ensure that they have good contact and representation back into those organisations. So, you know, we we think um, we think a lot needs to be done to to ensure that um, their voice is heard much more effectively than it is currently. David, have, have we been perhaps a little bit uh, top-heavy too long? And I, I'm thinking here uh, about our attention to our top side, the All Blacks, and now of late, the Black Ferns. I mean, is the perception uh, if the All Blacks are good, everything will fall into place? I mean, everyone watches and supports the All Blacks when they're doing well, and, and all kids want to be All Blacks. I mean, that, that is no longer the case, is it? Particularly with our youth? I think that's, that's absolutely what we've found and, uh, and what I think most people see. Um, I mean, kids nowadays have choice. I mean, parents, uh, you know, we're actually seeing a fall off in kids' participation in sport in, play, in the big urban areas like Auckland because, you know, two working couples with kids, uh, they're time poor. And the last thing they want to do is spend all the Saturday going all over Auckland taking kids to Saturday morning sport. So, you know, there is a push to to a lot of the other, um, what parents would probably describe as user-friendly user sports, you know, the, the sports that are played, you know, in weekday after, after, after school. Um, so rugby is under challenge for that participation. Um, and there has been, we heard a lot of people say that, you know, New Zealand rugby is focused too much on the high performance end of the game and not enough on the community and grassroots side. And I, I think that's a common, um, you know, complaint that, um, that we heard. And to some degree, uh, you know, we saw, we saw that. On the other hand, the game beyond or below our teams in black is not financially sustainable. So at the moment... It's all black sponsorship that is basically propping up the rest of the game. And, um, you know, what we identified in the report is, is, you know, we've got to, we've got to address that. The cost structure of MPC Super Rugby, 19 professional teams can't be supported by a population of 5 million people. And, you know, that has to be addressed because if it's not, then the ability of all black sponsorship to effectively be channeled back in supporting club and grassroots rugby, um, you know, there's never going to be enough money. 
David, in terms of the confidence of the public or your fan base, and the other people that you need to get reinvested into the game, what did you find their views are of uh, the rugby, New Zealand Rugby Union Board? I mean, I'll give you, uh, for example, we, you know, we're in radio here, and during the process of uh, appointing Scott Robertson in particular, our, our text lines, our phone lines were, were really hot on the subject of why can't they just get this sorted? And I think at that point a lot of people thought, uh, what's going on there? Who's running the cutter here? Is it, was that an example of what you're talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, that was... Uh, I think by any measure you could see the, the, um, the difficulties New Zealand rugby had through its communications of, of the... Uh, you know the debacle in in South Africa, and then you know the, all, all of the communications around the coach um, uh, reappointment process. Um, you know, I don't think there's any other word for it. They're poorly poorly handled, and um, I mean that uh, rugby is such a uh, you know it's such a talking point in the you know in the New Zealand community and. You can't, um, you know, you've, you've got to handle those issues very, very carefully. And, um, I mean, that one got away from them and, um, and caused, you know, a lot of public debate. They could, they could handle those things much better. David, um, I guess, you know, we, we look at the, the NPC level and uh, a classic example was uh, the other night where uh, I believe uh, they were lucky to get a 1,000 people at Eden Park for a classic for a Manawatu victory over uh, Auckland. Is, uh, is it in your, the viewpoint of uh, the panel um, that this is retrievable or has it gone too far now? Um, I think it's retrievable. I mean, if... if um if Wellington can fill that stadium at one o'clock in the afternoon to see two countries, neither of which have any direct affiliation with New Zealand, and put 34,000 people to watch a women's football game, you know, New Zealanders will turn out to watch sport. But, you know, what we found is we talked to a lot of young people and it was quite a revelation to me. I mean, I grew up in a in an era where if the rugby, if, if the All Blacks were playing on the other side of the world in the middle of the night, you got up and and watched the game. Um, and you know, young people just don't think in those sort of terms. I mean, we we interviewed a number of young women uh, rugby players in Dunedin, and um, you know, their interest is in it's much more in the, the highlights and the digital content. You know, they want to go online and be able to view you know, their best moves, their favourite players. As they say, uh, as they said to us, you know, going to a stadium or watching, even watching rugby if they can afford a Sky subscription, you know, at 7.30 on a Friday or a Saturday night is not something... You know, high on their priority list. So mm. that's where I think uh, the fan engagement. You know, you've got to go back to. Um, you only have to look at things like the Drive to Survive Formula One program or Full Swing, the golf equivalent. Uh, that's where I think Silver Lake really does offer the, offer the opportunity to to provide 
fans with a different form of engagement. But I think you've also got to look at at cost. I mean, it's it's fair to say a lot of people turned out for those football um, FIFA games because the price was much more attractive. And I think we've priced rugby to a point that exceeds um, you know people's interest. And when Wellington hold a Ranfurly Shield match against Southland at Hut Rec in front of three and a half thousand spectators, you know, you say, you know, imagine that ten years ago. Mm. Absolutely so, right, David. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think your thoughts, and I grew up at the same with the same era, um, incidentally as as well. And I, I echo your thoughts there. Uh, look, it's, it, we could talk for, for I think literally hours uh, about this particular report, but it's there to be read. Um, you know, I think it's it's gone. It's very, been a very very involved process, uh, and let's hope uh, that it's acted upon uh, pretty smartly because. Uh, as we say, uh, and uh, as we have been talking about, um, the interest levels appear to be waning uh, to a point where uh, it is of great concern. David Pilkington, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it, and uh, well done on the report. And uh, uh, with your, your three uh, fellow members, uh, I think you've done a, a terrific job. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. David Pilkington there, folks, uh, the chair of the Independent Panel. Uh, specifically looking at the governance of rugby in this country, our national sport, and quite frankly, words like dog's breakfast were involved in that. I mean, you know, super rugby is a dog's breakfast. Do we even know where, if we're playing it at the right time? We've got to get away from paying players basically uh, at the NPC. In other words, it, it's nice to win it, but not at the cost of developing rugby within your province. We cannot lose sight of the clubs. We cannot lose sight of uh, the secondary school level in particular. You know, uh, we've got to make sure we're not losing these people. And and uh, without the clubs, without the, the heart and soul of the clubs, and that's what we're talking about here, the heart and soul of the game. Uh, if we lose the heart and soul of it, um, what future does it have? What will rugby on this pathway we have at the moment, what will it look like in 10 years' time? Who knows? Uh, look, um, we'd love your, your f opinions on that. 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811. You've heard it from uh, the chair of the panel. There's great concern. There's great concern. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It's 9.25. Yeah, just uh, a reminder to uh, listening to that ad. 1476. Uh, we'll have some outages today between um, now, I think, and around about 5 o'clock uh, because they're working on that mast again and uh, doing maintenance on the mast to make sure it's uh, prim and proper when they finally get it done. But what it means is um, we, we ask you to go across to the app, actually, listen on the app, um, and uh, we'll be strong and powerful on there. I can, prob I can promise you that. Uh, also, uh, we ask for calls. We're getting them coming through, and uh, we'd love more as well. 0800-150-811. What's your take now on uh, the governance of New Zealand rugby? Where do you sit with uh, NPC being depowered, really, um, and to the point where, yes, it's really important to, to win it, but not at the cost of everything else. And that apparently is happening in some unions. And I think that was hinted at, actually, about a month ago by Mark Robinson. Maybe he got a bit of a, a heads up on, on this report, but certainly uh, that was the theme of what he was saying. It's time for the news uh, with Aroha.
Right, uh, let's get to your calls. Uh, Joey, thanks for, very much for being uh, so patient. You've got a view on uh, Auckland and where they need to play. Yeah, yes. Uh, look, Eden Park's uh, a dinosaur when it comes to NPC uh, rugby. Um, when they're playing a, you know, playing a match there because of the crowd, you don't get the crowd. It doesn't matter if you get 10,000 people there. If you do get 10,000, it's great, but you're not going to get the atmosphere you get. They play it on the number two ground, and you can develop that or whatever. If you get 10,000 people on the number two or even 15, if you get the ticket sell, sales and they're more, well, then you may have to go to the or, or Western Springs. I mean, you, you know, but, but playing in Eden Park number one, it just looks terrible, even when you, you know yourself and you're watching it on television. It, it's, not a, mm. it's not a good look. Um, I don't know what it's like down in, at Napier with the McLean Park, whether you've got another, you know, if, if McLean Park you can't fill up, whether you've got another ground there where you can, you know, get, say, eight, 9,000 people in there or you've only got McLean Park. But in Auckland, it's terrible. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and the way sport is now with, with uh, Sky, a lot of people will watch it, especially at night, will watch it on, on, on Sky and watch it live. It's, it's, it's just how it is, uh, Ian. I mean, but as I say, I think they should go to the number two ground or Western Springs for... Um, uh, for Auckland, for NPC, without a doubt. There's no two ways about it. I, They've I, got to do something there. Look, I, I think you're right, Joe, and you're talking from the area that uh, this shouldn't be a problem because it is the most populated area of New Zealand, Auckland. But this should not be. Uh, we shouldn't be pointing the finger at Auckland and saying you're one of the worst. Uh, um, we should be saying, well, in terms of your population, it's a bit disappointing, but they quite clearly are an example of this. Now, there's a lot of... Um, um, Pacific Island people involved in, in sport in, in Auckland and we were talking with uh, with uh, Dave, uh, David Pilkington about the, the, the burgeoning numbers and you would have thought because of that you know those types of numbers would be increasing Joey but it, it seems not so uh, yeah I'll, I, I, I'm, what, what, you know what worries me is that they've dropped the ball once too often and we can't get the ball back that's correct, Ian. You know, we, we are we, we're one of the worst, if not the worst. I mean, you, you get more crowds at Canterbury. I know Canterbury have been going good with the Crusaders and that. But Auckland is, is probably the worst province of getting people to go to the games, and, and I'm included, because, you know, the atmosphere at Eden Park, when you've got 50,000 seats and you've got 8,000, 10,000 people, it's, it's just not there. It's just not there. I'm sorry. It's just how it is. I, you've got to make it easy as possible, and access has always been a bit of an issue there as well. Cost is another issue as well, Joey. Hey, hey thanks for your call. I appreciate your, your sentiments on the Auckland side of things. Uh, get uh, down to uh, Dunedin, Otago. I've always been great supporters of rugby. Uh, and Cliff's down there. Um, but you've got some thoughts on the structure going forward, Cliff? Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Yeah, I had a look at the New Zealand board of the New Zealand Rugby Union, and to me, you... you They've changed it quite dramatically over the last few years. There's, there's a very fair representation of everyone. There's plenty of women on it, from Dame Patsy Reddy, the assistant chairman is a, a chap of Polynesian. There is Polynesians right through it. There's plenty of women through it. I don't know what they can do to make the board any different, any more colours, but to me, going ahead, the cost of rugby in a smaller group over the last 30 or 40 years the amount of players playing rugby has dropped dramatically but the, mm. the people that are playing rugby that get paid 
they're getting paid more and more money. You know, to run, the say, the Otago Rugby Union, back in the day, John Hornbrook used to run the rugby and the cricket. He was the secretary manager, and he, might, he, he didn't even have an assistant. And basically, it was him and the coach. And uh, nowadays, the Otago Rugby Union would have probably a stream of 20 people behind it, plus. Plus all the players getting paid, you know, 30 plus getting paid money to be a full-time member of the club, you know, uh, playing for Otago. Now, they, you can't afford that sort of money. You can't afford to run something that it's not attracting players anymore. Back in the day in the 90s when Otago rugby was strong and Carisbrook was getting fooled, you know, you get 25,000 there nearly every game. I used to go there at night. I used to drive down and... You know, the place is packed, you know, good crowds, but no one wants to pay much now to go there, and, and they're getting small crowds, so you can't afford to run a rugby union and pay everybody good, big money, 60-odd thousand plus for all the players. It, there's, there's no money in the game in that for that level, and that's what's hurting the rugby union. The funding cost to fund all these extras, the amount of money they must have put into women's rugby in the last few years because they've got to separate everything, but load up all the management, all the, the whole shaboodle for that is getting bigger and bigger. And there just mm. isn't the players, you know, there's no money. Well, it's a couple of things that interest me um, and, and bringing up the money side of it. Uh, you know, there are club rugby players. When you do, on the rare occasion, you get uh, super rugby players or I'll take our local Hawks Bay players, whatever, drop back and do play a bit of club rugby. They expect to get paid. Most of them expect to get paid for it because that's their that's that's their job. So when they're doing their job, whatever the level, they expect to get compensation for it. The clubs can't afford that. That is an absolute nonsense. So you say, look, we can't afford to pay you. They won't play. Uh, so therefore, you know, the kids don't get to see uh, the best of their club actually on show. Time is another factor, obviously, and and uh, you know, with a congested program and that. So there's an issue, and, and clubs just. Can't do that anymore. That, that's a joke. They shouldn't have to do it in the first place. Uh, the uh, the other thing about this club for me of interest uh, is the the power of the unions. Now, now this is becoming more and more evident through. If you read this report, the power of the rugby unions, which a lot of people thought had gone because their representation uh, as such on the board wasn't as obvious, it seems it's still there. And I, I blow me down. I don't know how they're going to get that changed. I, I really don't because they're they're pretty protective. Some of these unions. Well, you know, the rugby unions should be looking after the basically how rugby is. You know, if the Auckland Rugby Union chief who's on the board or you know he's involved in it, his group they need to foster rugby at the bottom level. If the club rugby is encroaching into well the rep rugby and the other stuff is all crossing over so that players can't play and like you say a guy in the day used to get a bit of help from his employer to to go and play rugby and he, and he could still work but nowadays none of them want to do a job they all want to be full-time rugby players at, at any level so that's the problem if you've got I don't know how many guys must be getting paid full-time wages in this country to play rugby on a full-time basis. And really, for the amount of players, the rest of them, you've got, where does the money come? You know, you look at the likes of golf. Golf has is, is grown exponentially. And now every guy that's a member of a club pays towards the New Zealand PG, you know, for the 
golf association. So it works out. You, you know, you can bump up the amount of people that are working for the golf association when you've got plenty of people paying. But if the rugby fit guys aren't paying the fees because there isn't many players, you know, these some of these clubs that used to have 10, uh, 10 teams, now they've only got two. So there's not mm. many guys paying at the bottom to help the top, is there? No, and, I, you know, Cliff, you make so many point, uh, good points there. Uh, you know, everyone's got to buy into this. Coaches have got to buy into this. Um, you know, you've got to have a situation where if you want club rugby to, to uh, gather momentum again, you've got to have the good players playing it. Uh, and so the coaches, the, the NPC coaches have got to buy into this and they've got to release their players. They've got to say, look, if my preparation time is uh, down because players are still wanting to play or ha- having to play club rugby, so be it. So be it. Um, it, it looks like we're gonna, they're going to have to depower the importance of winning uh, the NPC. Depower that. I mean, okay, do we ever think we'd say that? Uh, but it, it seems that's the way they're heading. Cliff, uh, uh, thanks very much for your call, Joey. Uh, and all the texts that are coming in as well, we'll, we'll read them throughout uh, the next uh, couple of hours. It's 9.43 here on SENZ. Radio uh, 8833 is uh, our temper bedpost text line. And uh, thank you very much for making it very busy this morning on this pretty emotive issue. Our national game is uh, drawing a, a lot of attention and the findings of this, uh, this panel uh, to look uh, at uh, just the, the governance of the game in this country. Uh, and and uh, incidentally, it was interesting to note that it was really uh, instigated by the Players Association as such, rather than um, the union themselves. I, I, I was kind of wondering about that, whether the union had asked, uh, had asked really, uh, and I thought to myself in a devious sort of way, they've asked for it, knowing the outcome would be uh, what it was, and hoping like that uh, would help them in uh, some way change the way um, the unions are having the say, but maybe not. Uh, Paul says, uh, sorry to say, but things ain't changing. The deep-seated old boys mentality in the unions runs deep. They are only worried about their own backyard. This coupled with the arrogant NZRFU who have enjoyed privilege and ent- entitlement and don't listen to the fans for too long now is the reason the game is on its knees. It's a gun- game run by amateurs trying to be professional. Thanks for that, Paul. Mike says, hey mate, as a club coach, I firmly believe school rugby is our biggest challenge. In brackets, problem. Clubs should be running rugby in this country, not schools. Most schools only promote the top players, whereas clubs try to keep all the players. This is where the big drop in often numbers happens, uh, and that's uh, from Mike. And goodness me, if uh, the schmozzle around the, the Scots College um, debacle uh, is any advertisement for secondary school rugby, yeah. There's things that would be looked at there. I mean, if you can't play uh, or, or field a team, uh, then you protest because you can't field a team. And then you win your protest uh, so you can play with your team. And then you default because you can't find a team. What's that? What's that? Is, is that a great advertisement for rugby at grassroots level? I think not. Rick says the game as a, an entertainment package is operating in the dark ages. The price for attendance goes up. The quality of the product has gone backwards. Who wants to see 12 phases of forwards carrying the ball up several calls of advantage uh, because of some stupid rule that a ref calls only for that same penalty not to being awarded next week? No one identifies with NPC players as half our imports to provinces and the cream of the All Blacks are either rested or pulled out of the comp. Apart from state of origin... All the pinnacle players front up week after week in a competition, whereas most Super Rugby results are predictable. 
rugby rules need diluting to again to make it an attractive proposition for people to watch. Rick, uh, that is a very, very common view, and I thank you for that. Uh, Paul says, uh, I Smithy, would be good if you could get a former CEO on who will be happy to give their two cents worth without the fear of repercussions, and you're suggesting maybe an ex-Tasman CEO is now at the force. I think it's a fair point. Uh, I think it is because uh, the finger is being pointed here at the unions. It's been pointed at the unions, their directors, uh, their CEOs, as the people that are the stumbling block here. So uh, I think it's only fair that uh, they should have their say if they're willing to come on and do just that. Joseph says, uh, morning, Smithy. There are multiple reasons I see rugby crowds dropping. One is ticket pricing. We were season ticket holders for multiple years in Canterbury, but now two or three games a year, it's just too expensive. The other is player engagement with crowds. My boys no longer want to wait and get autographs or photos as the players don't want to talk. They just want to move on to the next one. The flip side is the women's game. My daughter is falling in love with it. It's, uh, it's the game. She's got a, a new favourite player in the last two times she's got to talk to for five to ten minutes. All the ladies take time to chat and actually ask questions and gen genuinely care. We're off to the uh, Farah Palmer Cup semi-final on Sunday. It's only five bucks and the entertainment is on a par with the NPC. Joseph, um, it's a, a really cool text. Uh, I, I hope uh, you and your daughter enjoy uh, that semi-final as well. Um, it, it, it is just crazy, isn't it, it that we're, we're, we're getting to this point and we've got to this point. It, it is it's very, very worrying. Um, uh, look, Dino says uh, up the waz. I'm a bit busy. I can't listen this morning. Call for a chat regarding the South African quota system in sport. Well, it's an entirely different issue, but something that has to be observed over there. Uh Thank the All Blacks uh, for picking Christie. This giving the Pacific team their best players for the first time. Honestly, under Foster and Kane's reign, uh, it's the only positive I can find. Have a cracking weekend uh, up the wire. So uh, there we go. We get so many uh, conflicting uh, views on this. But uh, I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, everyone's on the same wavelength here. It's got to change. It simply has got to change. Uh, there's another one, uh, Sean. It makes my blood boil when we talk about the problems in rugby in New Zealand. I've played and coached rugby at club level, and all we talk about how the rugby landscape has gone to hell in a handbasket. How to fix it? Put the power back in the clubs and the provinces. The national body does not understand rug gra uh, rugby at grassroots level. Love your program, Sean. Uh, love your text. And that, too, is another example. And there's a, a common theme just developing here, isn't there? And that is to take the power or take rugby away from schools, uh, give it all the secondary, you know, the, these, these kids, and that way um, you, you're not losing track on the, of them once they're in, being run by schools and all of a sudden you've got to go grab those players. Go, got to go grab those players. That's interesting. 9.54. Just talking with Brian off air, actually, and uh, he raised a good point. He said uh, one of his great memories was going on in McLean Park after the Hawks Bay side uh, beat the Lions and having access and, and to, to look at the players and to get the, to sign your program and you know he, he said uh, he still kept his programs they don't have programs anymore in most games they don't have programs so what are the kids if you could get a signature what do they do sign your cell phone I mean it, you know it, this isn't, there's no memorabilia, uh, memorabilia to take home and look at and put on your wall and say wow that was special that was a good day anyway we're, we're going to go a little bit deeper into this because we're going to talk to George Berry next He's head of engagement for Canterbury Rugby. Uh, they've got an interesting concept coming up over the weekend, taking the rugby away from the city, so to speak.
that's coming up to 10 o'clock here on SCNZ. Well, we have spoken so much over the last while and again this morning about rugby in our communities and how the sport will manage to survive. The NPC has been a sore point for crowd sizes and empty stadiums, but this weekend that won't matter for Canterbury because they're going to the country, kind of, when they host Taranaki tomorrow at the Rangiora Showgrounds. game will be the main event and follow half a dozen games of representative footy, including the 100th episode of the Southbridge Shield Clash between North Canterbury and Ellesmere. It's a fantastic initiative and exactly what the sports needs uh, more in, uh, of a t- in a time when returning the, to the game to the people might just be the antidote to the problem. Uh, George Berry is Head of Engagement at Canterbury Rugby. He's been the driving force behind it all. Joins us uh, from the Rangiora Showgrounds live now as the captain's runs aren't too far away. Good morning to you, George. Thank you. Morning, Smitty. How are you? Oh, I'm damn good, mate. How many of your waking hours uh, are spent in your role trying to get people to come and watch rugby? Oh, gee, that's a million-dollar question, really, isn't it? I, I guess that's the big bit of two is, um, you know, when you've got a, an unfortunately an ugly stadium that's cold and got poles in your way and things like that, it, it's not conducive to it. And uh, when you have to eat the old, same old soggy pie and the $30 beer, um, it, it's not conducive uh, compared to sitting at home having a great experience that Sky put on when they broadcast the product. So, yeah, I mean, I spend... I'd hate to know countless hours trying to work out how we get people to um, to come to rugby and, and uh, yeah, hopefully this weekend we've got a bit of a taster to see uh, potentially what, what they might look like in the future and, and hopefully it is a new recipe. Before we get to that, George, and uh, I'm keen to do that, I just want have you had a chance to look at uh, the findings of this independent panel yet? Because it, it does pertain to your line of work uh, to a large degree. I, to be perfectly honest, Smithy, I, I haven't, um, but I, I probably have a fairly good idea what it, what it might say, and, it, and it's really simple. Like, if you, if you constantly talk to your community, uh, which we try to do all the time, um, yeah, that's the same feedback. It's the same feedback. Like, a number of people for us too is, you know, I'd support Canterbury Rugby or I'd you know, buy a corporate suite or I'd do those things, but I'm not going to do it while you've got X or Y. So um, I'd, I'd be surprised if the findings weren't as we thought they might be. Right, OK, let's get into this weekend. Sounds like a, a great initiative. How did it come about? Uh, well, actually, I'm a Rangura junior. There is no Rangura rugby club anymore, but I'm a, I'm a Rangura junior, so uh, this part of 30 years ago, I used to spend probably three or four days a week at the showgrounds running around playing my junior footy. So I always kind of knew what it could look like. Um, and then when I took the role as head of engagement at Canterbury, I, I understood we could take uh, one game a year away from the stadium in town um, and then started to kind of work through what it, what it might look like and what are the facilities that we need to, to play at this level um, at NPC and FPC and things like that and, and kind of connected a few dots and uh, yeah, pitched it pitched it to Tony, our CEO, and he was on board. So then I had to get Sky on board and New Zealand Rugby on board and Taranaki on board and the officials on board. And then uh, North Canterbury and Ellesmere were supposed to play their 100th game last weekend. Um, so I had to get them to shift the date. Uh, lucky enough, North Canterbury are, are the holders of the Southbridge Shield, so they get to dictate uh, where the venue is within North Canterbury. So got them on board. But, yeah, I think by the time I went through it, Smithy, it was about 12 different stakeholders I had to kind of get to agree to what it was going to look like. Um, and, yeah, thankfully enough of sort of been given the blessing or, or maybe enough rope to hang myself, depending on, on which way you look at it. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be pretty cool come tomorrow, and, and certainly the weather's played ball out here. And um, yeah, she's she's been a stressful but a fun week. 
So, George, it starts pretty early. Tell us uh, about the rundown. Yeah, well, that was probably the thing. We unfortunately kind of had to work backwards with no lights out here. We had to work backwards for uh, Sky and the broadcast of the NPC game. So a 2.05 kickoff really was, was the, the element to it. We tried to get a little bit earlier, so then we could make the feature match the actual North Canterbury-Ellesmere game. Um, but, um, yeah, it just didn't quite work. So, yeah, half past nine, under 16s, North Canterbury v Ellesmere. Uh, I think 10 o'clock is a kickoff for uh, under 18s, and then about 11 back on the other field as um, uh, Colts and then uh, a development sort of system after that about 11.30 and then 12.05, the, the, let's call it the main game, Southbridge Shield, North Canterbury versus Ellesmere, 100 years of it uh, on the main oval and then uh, 2.05, you know, Canterbury take on Taranaki. So yeah, I, 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 I don't know how many people will get out here to be honest, everyone, that's sort of been the million dollar question too, will we get 3,000, will we get 6,000, what will we do, I, I don't know. Then equally, I don't know where we're going to put everybody, but um, we'll see how we go. So what about things like um, refreshments, um, that, that kind of thing? Uh, you know, when you take it away from the major stadiums, which is security, all these horrible words that you throw into uh, the necessity of sport these days. I mean, what do you do about those things? I, I can tell you for a fact, Smitty, this will not be a cost-saving activity as opposed to playing uh, at a stadium that's set up for this on a regular basis. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but, yeah, there's 15 or 16 food trucks in here. Actually, the, the extra little grandstand that I've just hired for 1800 bucks for the weekend's just arrived, so it's about to get packed in. Um, you know, we've had to spend 20-odd thousand bucks on getting the field up to scratch. Uh, but uh, you know, a, a, a bar licence we had to get. The old Ashley, one of the local rugby clubs here, has taken over the bar for us and running that for the weekend. Uh, it's a bit of a fundraiser for them. Uh, that was a bit of a challenge, to be perfectly honest, with the, the Wymac Council to, to get a liquor licence the way that we that we kind of wanted it to be there. But uh, So that's at a, at a really sort of shrunk-down version of it. Certainly um, want to promote. You know, good safe drinking, but um, you know, it's one of one of those things. A bit of uh, rugby and beer kind of go hand in hand in a responsible way, so that, that took its challenges. Uh, lots of promotion, uh, say fifteen odd food trucks. There's uh, yeah, there's uh, bouncy castles out here. There's candy floss. There's there's everything. Like we really, when we dived into it, we really wanted to get to uh, it being a real family fun day. So there's a lot of that. Uh, equally, you know, we've only got 250 corporate spaces because that's all the field kind of allows for the way that it's structured. So, um, you know, to be honest, I, I probably could have sold about seven or eight hundred of those um, in the end, but we did, just literally didn't have the space to put them. Uh, so it will be old-fashioned, kind of four or five deep uh, along the bank, I, I think, come Saturday. So, uh, George, uh, have you had any feedback from the players and the coaches uh, about this? Uh, to be the funny thing is I, I came out here, well I've been out here all week, um, and by out here I'm talking 20 minutes north of Christchurch, so it's not exactly, you know, it's the difference between Napier and Hastings basically, um, mm. but uh, I came out here, I, I snuck, snuck down to do something, I came back and uh, Willie Hines uh, at uh, England International was out here, he'd come out on his day off because he was just interested to see what it was looking like. And he was out here with his boy who was crook for the day and he was standing in front of the grandstand doing the haka to an empty grandstand. Um, and to me, for the son of an England in- international to be doing that and to be fizzed on you know, rugby at grassroots, uh, yeah, absolutely, that was, that was the real bit for me that said we're on the right track. Um, the players in that are, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's different. The changing rooms are smaller. Uh, there's no ice baths. There's all of that sort of stuff. But 
Yeah, we, we've tried to take an approach this year for Canterbury that it's um, it's semi-professional rugby. It's not, you know, it's not professional rugby. Uh, it's semi-professional, and and get away from the terminology high performance too, because high performance is the All Blacks or Super or things like that. Like absolutely, you want to perform at your best, but. I think once you start to change the terms a little bit, people start to see people's expectation changes a little bit. Um, mm. You know, there are half these guys that do go back and play club rugby, they're in tiny little situations with crappy fields and things like that on a regular basis. It's only just the fact that we've got thirty-something super rugby players that have a have a different expectation. But if you dial the clock back four or five years ago, they were playing on this stuff every every week. You know. George, that's an interesting point you make, and um, I would imagine Taranaki are all over this because uh, what they had, they had two years at Inglewood, uh, which is not dissimilar. In fact, it's a lot smaller than Rangiora, uh, but they had two years of taking uh, provincial rugby there, so they would be uh, right uh, in your ballpark here, wouldn't they? Yeah, I haven't had too much connection. I know uh, Michael Sheed, our sort of match day manager, was talking to them the other day and, and just gave them the kind of, hey, this is, you know, don't expect the Ritz when you arrive. Uh, and they all said the same, yeah, well, we took you to Pukakura Park last year and it was a, um, you know, you had a changing room the size of a bloody letterbox. So, um, you know, that, that expectation is there, absolutely. I think they'll enjoy it. I think they'll enjoy the crowd. Um, I think you know the crowd will be right on top of the game. Um, I, I suspect that they will enjoy it just as much as they have getting around uh, their grounds. Absolutely, I've got a broadcast company too. We do a lot of Farah Palmer Cup, and we spend a lot of time at Stratford and things like that, broadcasting mm. those games. And, and when you look up and you see the mountain all covered in snow, and um, you know those sorts of. Uh, environments that everyone's getting an ice cream or a beer or whatever else at grassroots, mate. That's that sings rugby to my heart every day of the week, rather than a, in a big old um, big old grandstand or a big buddy um, big stadium that you you pay twenty bucks for a beer. That's for sure. Southbridge Shield, uh, it's the hundredth episode, the hundredth uh, time it's been up for grabs. So tell us a wee bit about uh, the history of the Southbridge Shield, mate, because that is the kind of stuff we've got to get back to as well. I feel. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, interesting. I was reading a few comments that we, we put together, actually a 12-page newspaper that went in the local paper the other day and uh, did a lot of the, the writing for them and put them in. And, and to hear 10 or 15 of the old boys talk about the Southbridge Shield and the things that mattered to them, you know, some of those guys have never gone on to play uh, for Canterbury or for anyone else. So that that is their high performance or that is the histories and the bonds and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I think uh, Ellesmere, or part of Ellesmere and, and Rangura were, were some founding clubs of, of Canterbury back in the day, so it screams to how old that sort of stuff is. Um, but absolutely, the rivalry between you know what's kind of north of Christchurch versus Ellesmere, which is effectively south, sort of southwest of Christchurch, um, you know, that's fantastic. They, they, you know, they drive up. There's already been plenty of banter. There's guys saying, oh, we're not staying for the after-match dinner, and we're not doing this, and we're not doing that, and I don't know whether it's just to throw people off, but you know, there's a lot of games that, like, literally, you've got to go to the opposition's uh, home ground. They get to decide where it's going to go, and you've got to go there and beat them to take the shield off them and take it home. Because the holder of the shield gets to decide where the game is, um, and, and subsequently the games underneath it. But you know, th- those guys take that shield with them. They'll stop at half a dozen pubs or, or whatever else on on the way home and have a great time and enjoy a few raspberry and cokes with their mates and and have some great bonds. And and they're the rep teams that come out of club rugby. You know, they're exactly. How 
we sort of get to at Canterbury, but that, that is the pathway to get into Canterbury uh, or, or to high-performance rugby is to go through those systems. And uh, So those guys love it. They absolutely love it. They've got those bonds that, you know, whether you play for Darfield or for, for Southbridge or wherever else you come into an Elsby team and the same in North Canterbury. You play for Glenmark or Kaiapoi or Saracens and then you come together in a North Canterbury team and you you know, you fight for something that's, that's about your place or your heritage or your family or those things. And they, they, they get talked about it at the club room or down the sale yards or down the street for, for weeks and months to come. So, yeah, there's been plenty of build-up around this one, that's for sure. George, you mentioned something before, which I, I, I just made a, a little note of as you were talking. You said you were a rungy or a junior, but uh, it doesn't exist anymore. What happened? Uh, oh, I think politics. A few, few uh, and I won't call them old boys because they were full respect to everything that someone's come before us, but... I think a few challenges between what was the, the sort of venue owners, the Rangua Showgrounds Committee, or uh, the Northern AMP show as they're, they're called now, um, and what was some boys on, on the old Rangua Rugby Club and decided that it, it didn't work for them, and so they, they joined back with Southbrook. So Rangua is not a, not a great big town, but effectively there was two clubs here. They joined together and then subsequently moved all their, their rugby down to, to Southbrook to another set of grounds. But well, the ironic thing with that, Smithy is that club's now in debt uh, and having to work their way through that as opposed to just working with people and coming up with a great outcome. So, yeah, I, I think it's a few a few old boys that, um, uh, you know, maybe didn't see, see the writing on the wall or didn't see how they could communicate and cooperate with other people to get an outcome. So they, they dig their toes in or dig their heels in and, and think that they're making the, the right decision for everybody. But... I think looking back, um, or as I've said to a few other people, like you can hold on to things and, and worry about doing things for your club that's been around for 50 or 100 years, or you can take a different view and think about what about the 50 years with the future. So make some decisions mm. about the future of the club rather than the past of the club, you know? Yeah, and uh, George, just uh, just finally, uh, if this works and, uh, you know, God willing with the weather and everything, it, it works for you because of the, the sound of the, the amount of work you put in, it deserves to work for you. Uh, any other views on perhaps in coming seasons uh, any other venues around the area you could contemplate oh I mean, then there's probably more of a personal view than a than a union view but i'd love to see us have multiple high performance hubs sort of dotted around one out west one out east one in selwyn and maybe one in north canterbury and you know do do we have lights do we have artificials do we have um uh, a show field, do we have it, you know, there's all of those sorts of things and, and I, I know that Canterbury's having lots of conversations at a board level at the moment and um, some strategic sort of uh, initiatives and, and great that they are um, so to answer your question, I 100% hope so, uh, we've definitely got a, a recipe now that's that's in the can that we can take this forward um, and do that and um, Fortunately or unfortunately at the moment, we're contracted to the stadium uh, for the next couple of years that uh, you know, it helps the Crusaders play there in the meantime because there's obviously a business model there that someone's got to pay for the current fixture in the current stadium that's there. But yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe this is the future of MPC rugby from a, from a playing engagement and a broadcast perspective. But that's, that's 100% a personal view, not a, um, not a, not a um, unanimous union view, that's for sure. Well, you you uh, you put together this um, the prospect of this in a in a really good matchup because this is these are two top draw teams, uh, Taranaki and and Canary. Um, George, uh, have you got a forecast for the game? How do you set going? What are the key points? Uh, well, it's going to be a beautiful day. I can assure you that. I'd say I'm standing in the middle of the over at the moment. Actually, just watching some kids run around and the boys are getting ready for their their. Um 
for the captain's run, wearing actually the North Canterbury version. Our, our training kit, one side's Ellesmere and one side's North Canterbury, so that's... Um, that's slightly ironic this year with that here doing it, but oh, I, mean, I, oh, I don't know. I thought we were going to beat Wellington last weekend, and we couldn't quite get across the line. So I don't want to. I don't want to hope too much. Um, but you know, Taranaki have been going going extremely well too. So yeah, as I say, we, we probably couldn't have hoped for a better matchup. Um, yeah, do we get up? I certainly hope so. I hope I hope we can get up, and as a North Canterbury boy too, I probably hope North Canterbury can get up too. So. Uh, then I don't have to scope another venue out for next year. We can just come back again. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be great for me. I, I hope you know. Um, uh, yeah, I know. So I said to Sky early on, like, you know, get the number one crew down here, get everything down here, and throw the kitchen sink at this because this is going to be a special day. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what it looks like um, at two o five tomorrow. That's for sure. So am I, George. Uh, I'll be tuning in just uh, to see what the feedback's been and, and the response from the, the Canterbury public, Rangiora public in particular. Hey, all the best with it, George. It's been fascinating to talk to you. I'll tell you what, if we had, um, just by the sound of your enthusiasm, if we had uh, more people uh, like you involved in promoting the game around the country at this level, uh, we might not be talking so much about the problems that it's got. George, uh, congratulations and all the very best. Thank you, mate. Appreciate the time. It's yes, uh, George Berry there, and uh, this massive day at the Rangiora Showgrounds tomorrow, culminating in uh, Canterbury taking on uh, Taranaki, and that's a 2.05 kickoff. But you want to see quality rugby, get there early because it starts uh, around 9 o'clock with the young fellas. The future of the game, and it's uh, 10.20 here on SENZ. Rightio, let's uh, have uh, a look at some more texts, and they continue to come in because uh, you care. It's, uh, I think it's a really good aspect of it. I've played and coached at club and rugby level, however, never find myself watching the league more often because of the state of the game. Cheers, uh, Chris, up the waz. And that, that, that's a concerning thing. People are, you never would in the old days get people to go away from rugby to watch league. And I'm not saying that, that uh, there was anything wrong about the league back in the day. It's just that rugby was it, wasn't it? Rugby was numero uno. Well, it's not numero uno to the extent that it was uh, anymore. And that is... Um, I think that's the, the whole crux of what we've uh, been talking about. The NRL, uh, says Mike, and this is concerning, if th- this came to fruition, the NRL are only one extra team in New Zealand away from killing off rugby in New Zealand. Imagine an, a, another NRL team in Christchurch or Wellington. Then rugby's doomed. That's from Mike. Um, Morning Smithy, the NZRU are sending 20 people to the World Cup. Didn't realise that. 20 people to the World Cup. Uh, that's where the money is going. Hmm, okay. Uh, Athel uh, from Christchurch says, uh, Hi, uh, rugby gone wrong again. Today and uh, Sunday in Palmerston North, the girls' high school first 15 national tournament, top four teams in New Zealand. Nothing being shown on Sky TV as the boys' first 15 is. Only the way the game can be viewed is through YouTube. Why not Sky Sport? Ladies' rugby is humming at the moment. Surely this is an ideal opportunity to prove, promote the game further. Beats me. That's Athel from Christchurch. Uh, the Ellesmere, Ellesmere Mudfish to put 50 on the North Canterbury Colts tomorrow. There you go. Don't think we can get a market on that one, but uh, yeah, you're very confident there. Thanks for that. Uh, George's attitude is the future of rugby. We need more people like him to lead the way. Uh, great interview. Well, I, I found it exhilarating, actually, talking to him. To be perfectly honest, and uh, I would—I I can't believe uh, that a guy like that is not indicative uh, of where the, uh, the administration of the game has to go. Yeah, really. Um, oh, 
it, it is it's mind-boggling actually um, when you as I said when you hear uh, words uh, emotive words being used in this report that it is uh, it's very very concerning and um, I go back to our aspects of it and um, when it came to the women's side of it the headline reads this you know New Zealand Rugby Review reveals misogyny and torturous process to uh, reach gender quota and this is the story of uh, chauvinism misogyny racism even being aligned with our uh, our national body in the way that the the game is run uh, particularly when it comes to you know the appointment of uh, women on onto the board of course um, New Zealand rugby was at one stage fined weren't they because they didn't meet the 40% threshold which is in place and uh, they were a uh, a bit slow getting their act together in terms of of having the right number of women on the board. Um, women in rugby, Aotearoa, and this is coming from uh, Tracy Holpapa, who, who says, uh, Women in rugby, Aotearoa, endorse the recommendations of this panel around an independent process for the appointment and the creation of the stakeholder council. Stakeholder council is an interesting concept, isn't it? Just who would get on that? Who would you put on the stakeholder uh, council? What kind of people? Maybe the George Berries. Uh, of the world. Doubt it. Uh, the current model which sees board members either nominated, elected or appointed is broken, unfit for purpose and in need of urgent change. Uh, this is uh, coming out, out of the report. Two of the three current pathways require provincial unions uh, involvement. The review highlighted how a small handful of provincial unions can sway decisions for their best interests and block progress. Nothing so obviously reflects the conservatism of New Zealand Rugby's voting membership is the tortuous process of gaining greater gender diversity on the national board. Uh, sadly, a more fundamental reason is that this would be an impediment to a sort of entrenched rite of passage, even a sense of entitlement to progression for male provincial union board members. To the extent that is true, we can only describe it as uh, anachronistic at best. New Zealand rugby was amongst 67, I should say, sports boards required to hit 40% board gender quota by 2021, uh, put in place by the government as part of the Women and Girls in Sport and Active Recreation Strategy. Uh, and I, I go back to you know the appointment of Scott Robertson, the process in that, it did not show uh, that uh, New Zealand rugby was in a good light. I think that was probably, and this reported, uh, the, the beginnings of this report started well before that. This is uh, on, a, <coughs> on the basis of um, a request by the New Zealand Players Association way, way back. And whilst this was going on, of course, we had this rigmarole played out in public of the appointment of Scott Robertson at a, a time uh, where the incumbent, Ian Foster, hadn't even got close to doing the job that they asked him to do in the first place. Mind-blowing. It's 10.30 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll take a news break, and when we come back, not far away from catching up with uh, Alex Chapman as well as part of the bulletin. Loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, in Louis' absence, I'll uh, try to preview uh, the racing coming up to tomorrow in terms of the gallops. Uh, Rickerton Park and uh, Whanganui are the two host meetings tomorrow. Uh, Rickerton, eight races, the first beginning at 12.51. There's actually um, a horse in the first, which will carry, oh, sorry, in the, in the seventh, the seventh, which is the feature. Uh, it is $50,000 worth of the uh, CJC Group 1 race day party, 16th September, metric mile. There's a... Uh, 
a mouthful for the caller to get out when they jump. Uh, but Louie uh, Louie, Louis, uh, horse number two, is, is uh, one of the favourites here at five bucks. Frankie the Fox is uh, the top weight, carrying 60 at nine bucks. You just go down the field. And uh, really, it's a pretty evenly betting, pretty even betting race with Burnview uh, and Taramir Lad at this stage in the market, uh, probably to the forefront of the betting. So, yes, yeah, so I've got uh, eight races there and switch across to uh, Whanganui where they have eight races also, beginning just a little bit later at uh, five past one. And uh, they've got uh, a couple of good features on there, including the HS Dyke Wanganui Guineas, which is a time-honoured event, and uh, interesting to see the field there, which uh, the betting is um, dominated by Chantilly Lace, uh, Chrissy Banbury trained horse at two dollars eighty, uh, and then you go uh, up the top to its Charm Deal at four fifty. Elisa Orpress to ride for the James and Wellwood Barn, uh, and also Artie Boy uh, won its first start for Peter Did and Michael McNabb, uh, country's top jockey on there. And that's at uh, $5. So uh, basically, in a nutshell, uh, the other two meetings, of course, uh, massive racing in, uh, coming in from Australia, from Randwick, Caulfield, uh, Waraknabil. Some of these uh, meetings I've never heard of. Kunanura, uh, unbelievable. There was one at Hilltop yesterday. Racing at Hilltop? Okay, it's uh, 10.35 here on SCNZ. We'll be back uh, very shortly with Chappie, Alex Chapman. The Bulletin. And the bulletin this morning is uh, with Alex Chapman. Chappie, good morning to you. Uh, the review is out from the independent uh, panel. I guess you've uh, had a cursory glance at it anyway. Uh, so what now? I mean, it's, these are recommendations or ideas as opposed to uh, having to have these things put in place. Uh, what will happen from this point, you think? Yeah, I think reading all 134 pages is a bit more than a cursory glance, and I was the victim of that yesterday. So um, I'll tell you what, though, and it doesn't often happen with rugby, which tends to be a bit stale in its language. God, there was some strong language in that yesterday, and I was absolutely here for it. And, I mean, the way rugby is run in 2023 doesn't mean that it's the way that it should be run in 2023, and I think the use of not-for-purpose in particular in that review proved that, and, and we need to see change. Um, David Pilkington, who I know you had on earlier, uh, said to me yesterday that you know, we'll continue to see a decline in rugby if it continues this way. I had several sources be a bit stronger than that and say that essentially rugby will die if we continue the way we are. So yeah, that may be a bit drastic, but if you look at some of the numbers, which are, are damning, and, and to be honest, Smitty, this shouldn't really surprise people. I think a lot of people seemed a bit surprised by some of the stuff that was said, but I mean, media, organisations, administrators, and, and in particular fans have been screaming this for so long. So there is a serious disconnect with our national game. It's, it's a very broad topic in terms of what's next. So um, I'll try to isolate this a little bit in terms of what now straight away needs to happen. So Pilkington and his, his team have recommended those two changes, which I'm sure you've already discussed this morning. But now the onus is very much on the provincial union. So two-thirds of those 26 need to vote in favour of this change being implemented. That in itself is going to be a challenge because you know, some larger and more centralised programs like an Auckland or a Wellington or a Christchurch compared to something like a, a Ngātipoto East Coast or a Buller or even a union in between the size of those examples like, like your team study, for example, with Hawke's Bay, they're not all going to align on everything that has been said in that review and the changes that want to be implemented going forward. That in itself is probably an issue that unions still wield 
so much power. Unfortunately, our NPC unions and the lower tiers just can't particularly financially justify having such a loud voice at the table anymore. Like constitutionally, that just does not make sense for them to to wield that much power. Ironically, it's the same power they'll now have to diminish if they are to save the game. So the PUs hold a massive say in this going forward. Really interesting to see what they vote on going forward because from those that I've spoken to already, it's, it's very mixed feelings. Well, it seems, uh, you know, uh, I haven't read uh, as much as uh, you and your extended cursory <laughs> glance. So I congratulate you on that. Thank but you. It, it seems to me, Jeffy, it seems to me that um, the All Black uh, side of things is almost untouchable um, and it's ticking over quite nicely. Uh, but if you want to play NPC rugby, um, you can forget the fact that maybe a union might sling a 60, 80 to 100 thousand dollars uh, for the sake of mm-hmm. hoping that uh, they might win the title. That looks like that might be um, out the window. Yeah, the, the traditional structure of like club into high school into, well, first of all, part of high school into um, a union development into super rugby into an international isn't the, the traditional tree anymore, is it? It's... You know, high school you then go into, in the case of, if I use you know, my region or the Blues as an example, you'd go high school and as in while you're maybe even still at high school, you're part of the Blues Academy. And then you go into a wider Blues training group, into the Blues B, into Blues A, then, then you end up playing Blues, then, um, then into international rugby. It's not that, that normal ecosystem like we've had previously. So I think everyone just needs to understand that that just looks a little bit different. But having said that, I'm, I'm well aware, and a lot of your listeners won't be from you know, a big super rugby region. They'll be from, as said, uh, Nasipato East Coast, White Upper Bush, Buller, um, even, you know, yes, the Crusaders have a wider catchment zone, but South Canterbury are completely different to the way Canterbury are run um, and the systems that come through that as well. You, if, if, prime example, your producer, Louis, who is from, I think I can say where you're from, I can't remember, the way Louis came through the system with Canterbury Country is completely different to the way that someone that went to Christ College or Christchurch Boys High would have come through the system in terms of Canterbury. So I, I don't have the solution, and good on David Pilkington. I, I, I thought his review was very impressive because there, there's a lot of issues with rugby, and we now need to implement them. Yeah, I, I think you, you, you're spot on. and I mean, I know of two very, very uh, impressive young rugby players out of Napier Boys High who are still playing for Napier Boys High. One is headed to the Crusaders and one is being sought after by the Blues. Now, where does their development go? I mean, what about the club issue? of uh, Will they ever play club rugby? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing, right? Like, you, you only really play club rugby nowadays if you get a, a nasty injury and you're trying to get a bit of game in game time, or you are that out of form, or you've been completely dropped, that you know not even an NPC side wants to pick you up anymore. So, yeah, that traditional format doesn't work anymore. Okay. Um, All Blacks France, uh, believe it or not, Chappie, we've uh, been looking forward to this for so long. It's only eight days away now. <laughs> and the French have, uh, French have lost one of their star centres, uh, Jonathan uh, Dante as well. Uh, so that might help our cause just a little. Yeah, who ironically is anything but Dante, isn't he? Um, with his, with his style mm-hmm. of play, he, he's a real um, crucial figure in that French backline. Gives them real size, real go forward, and was a, a good second receiver option that's going to run direct lines. Maybe a little bit of angled running as well off, off a shoulder. Almost, 
a little bit different style of play, but almost like how we saw a Mutton Nonu, for example, in that 2015 Rugby World Cup with the All Blacks. So uh, crucially for France, though, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the entire World Cup. It's just going to be that opening game against the All Blacks. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was looking at the odds before. All Blacks $1.82, France $2, which I'm not sure I entirely agree with, to be honest. I, and I don't think we'll see the All Blacks play as poorly as we did last weekend. And I'm sure it's been said all over your fine radio station this week that, you know, it could be the kick up the backside that the All Blacks need and, you know, they won't play that poorly again and it's all about how you play in the tournament. But, yeah, for France losing their first choice 10 for the entire World Cup, their their first choice midfield, essentially, in terms of the the 12-13 combination, it's a lot of pressure now on Anton Dupont. So, yeah, I honestly cannot wait for the opening game of this World Cup. As you say, we've been talking about it for so long. Let's just get this damn thing underway. Yep, let's do it. Um, let's get uh, New Zealand cricket underway under the tenure of a new CEO now. And Scott Wienick, of course, uh, played for first-class cricket for Wellington, but seriously successful businessman, uh, having been through Oxford University as well. So uh, interesting appointment. I'm not sure you saw that coming. What are you thinking now um, on uh, w- what his priority should be? Uh, well, first of all, definitely didn't see it coming. Uh, I thought they might um, look elsewhere, but then Hans Nedden the other day, who I know you know very well, said that uh, they wanted Kiwi in an ideal world and they've got a Kiwi and they've got the right man and um, managed to, to chat with Scott the other day and I think uh, his relationship, his history with the Players Association at a time of an ever-changing cricketing landscape is going to be so crucial. We don't want to see the Black Caps in particular become what we've seen with the West Indies men's team. So the relationships with the players, the empathy for the players is going to be huge. And we've already started to see a little bit of a change of that with the way contracts are structured in terms of when players need to be available for New Zealand, when you're allowed to go and play overseas. Someone like a Lockie Ferguson, for example, is probably a good example um, of that. I like how determined Scott seems to get more test cricket because that is what you know, New Zealand cricket fans want to see is more test matches. But he's also very realistic about the financial balance of that. He needs to continue to grow the women's game, I think, and build up, uh, in particular, that feeding system into the White Ferns so that that is a lot stronger. We've seen it with White Ferns' performances most recently that they are so reliant on three or four players that that next crop coming through isn't quite there yet. So it's not going to be like he's going to come in and all of a sudden the women's program is going to be like what we've seen with Cricket Australia or the ECB because financially New Zealand cricket just can't do that. That also feeds into um, the community game being stronger again. Like rugby, like so many other sports, numbers are massively dwindling at the community game. I know some clubs here in Auckland have lost 300 plus juniors in the last 18 months or so and as much as the senior teams may try, Smithy, they can't make that money back over the bar. So when you're losing that many juniors, you need to find out where they're going and why they're not sticking with cricket as well. So huge challenge um, for Scott. Where David White was very, very good, and he has been criticised for, for the way he ran um, that organisation. I actually think overall David did a pretty good job as NZB boss, but his relationships with those big three of England, Australia, India... Um, was was crucial for the way New Zealand cricket was now perceived in the global stage. So getting into that little circle is going to be a, a big challenge for Scott as well. Quite a quiet departure, has it not been for David White after all this? Yeah, time? I thought that as well. That kind of just just faded out a little bit. Which, um, yeah, I, I, I almost actually expected David White to turn up to the press conference the other day, to be honest, and say farewell. But no, apparently he's only left. 
clear out his desk, boxes are gone. See you later. Good luck, Tom. Yeah, yeah, uh, unbelievably so. And uh, interesting to see where uh, he goes from uh, this point on. We're still uh, a relatively young man with a lot of experience. And speaking of which, uh, the Black Caps themselves uh, got dealt to uh, yesterday. Some quick-fire T20 games to look forward to over the next few days. Uh, and then the one-day internationals. Um, are you reading anything into this T20 series? Oh, the series, maybe. Yesterday's performances, not so much. I mean, with the bat, and it often gets said, doesn't it, in T20s, that if you lose wickets at the top of the order in that first play, uh, first power play, you're just going to really struggle for momentum. And then the spinners come on, as we saw with, uh, with England. They tie you down. You can't actually really roll through the rest of your innings, and you end up posting pretty past score. And then when you're bowling pretty inconsistent lengths like the Black Caps were yesterday, and then you're up against um, Harry Brook in, in Dublin Milan, um, who <laughs> Dublin Milan, I, I saw someone on, um, I think his name's Cameron Ponsonby, he's like an English freelance cricket writer, described Dublin Milan as the guy in club cricket who only really gets called up into the first team when there's a stag to on, but then once he gets called <laughs> up, he performs every time, and you just can't drop him. And he's just always there. He always scores runs. He's got a very underrated record. I think either, either Nasser or, or um, Michael Atherton were saying that in commentary yesterday. And he just continues to to score runs. And then Harry Brook, how they can leave him out of the World Cup squad, I, I have no yeah. idea. So good luck to the Black Caps bowlers um, because those two in particular are just they're so impressive, man. But I, I think for this Black Caps team, it's just going to be about getting game time, getting back into to the, the swing of things. Because, to be honest, they haven't really played much recently together. Um, then looking ahead to the ODIs more than anything, because, as is often the case, T20s are really only on, on tours at the moment for the financial purposes. So, mm. you know, it's quickly switch focus onto T20s, into the one-days, and then into the World Cup is kind of how I see it. Okay, and uh, just uh, from the outside, looking in from this far away, the fact that Kane Williamson is over there, is that a really good sign for you? Are you, you pretty positive that it's going to be okay? Uh, I'll be careful what I say, but I am hopeful. Let's put it that way. I, 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 I am hopeful. You're hopeful, okay. Um, and you have to be careful what you say. So That's cool. You, you know, I, I see last night... I see. I see last night, privy to information, someone's teacher's pet yes. here. Um, like, I, I see last night that the Broncos got tipped up by the storm. Uh, I'm not quite sure they'll be too worried about that, even though it's still a very, very big crowd and, and the sides not picking their top players. Are uh, you worried about uh, if the Warriors got uh, dealt to this weekend by the Dolphins that would have any effect going forward? Nah, nah, not, not at all. You look at, look at all those players that they've decided to rest, and rightly so, and... Um, I love that Andrew Webster came out the other day saying, I don't know where everyone's getting freaked out by or whether with it's rumour that Tohu Harris is going to be um, up for the, or potentially up for the first game of the playoffs. When, if you actually read the media release from the Warriors, it says Tohu Harris may miss the first game of the NRL playoffs. So that's where it came from, Webby. Um, I, I wouldn't read too much into last night's performance. Both teams rested a whole lot of players and... Good luck to whoever does NRL tipping this weekend because there's so many tough games to, to pick with that many players out. A couple of teams fighting, or more than a couple, several teams fighting for playoff berths. And, and how do you measure you know, momentum, the rest, heading into a playoffs, for example? It's a real balancing act for for all teams. And I think this is the first time that Andrew Webster has actually kind of conceded that he is looking beyond this week for a man that the entire season has said, I haven't looked at the table, I'm just looking at this week's performances by 
I referencing, I think it's seven players, or seven players being yeah. out, including Luke Metcalf with that injury. Um, he is very much looking ahead to next week, and I, I can't wait for these NRL playoffs, particularly with the Warriors. Chappie, uh, thanks very much for your contribution this morning. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, have a terrific weekend, my friend. Uh, thanks again. Enjoy the sunshine, Smithy. Thank you. Yep, will do. It's uh, coming up to 10.54 here on SENZ. Apology time. Uh, yes, people that are experiencing problems uh, listening to us on 8.28am. Uh, That's in uh, the Manawatu today. Uh, we're not off air. We've just got um, mast problems that they're working on. That goes uh, to for the Greater Auckland area on 14.76. Apologies there. It is out of our control. Uh, it is across all AM frequencies that they're working on the mast out there at Henderson. I am led to believe. So uh, back on uh, around about 5 o'clock or maybe a little bit early uh, this afternoon in terms of 1476, 828, working on as we speak. Apologies there, folks. Uh, we're going to do some uh, rugby league. Rugby league after the break. I'm going to go to uh, Jed Laurie, who's uh, coaching um, a Canterbury Bulls side. Uh, are they the favourites for the New Zealand Rugby League Premiership? We shall find out. First up uh, tomorrow, it uh, begins. Come out to 11. Time to talk some uh, rugby league, uh, more on a domestic front than the NRL, although uh, the Warriors are in action uh, against the Dolphins this weekend. But uh, our priority now switches to uh, the representative season for our New Zealand Rugby League Premiership, which gets underway this weekend with a bang, no doubt. And the SENZ Canterbury Bulls will be hosting uh, Counties Manukau at the uh, Napunawai Sports Centre tomorrow at 2 o'clock to start their season. Uh, where they'll be looking to go one better than their runner-up finish last year. It's been an exciting time for Canterbury Rugby League, as well as entering into a partnership with us here at SENZ. They've also coupled up with Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs in the NRL to create a clear pathway to the very top of the sport. Uh, Jed Laurie is the head coach of the Canterbury Bulls yet again. Good morning, Jed. Thanks for your time. No worries. Cheers, Uh, Exciting time for uh, your squad, Um, Getting some uh, some playing time up against uh, Counties Monaco. How's the preparation been going? Uh, prep's been good. It's um, limited prep. Club season went a bit longer than usual. So a couple of field sessions, a uh, couple of little bonding sessions. So but apart from that, we're pretty much good to go. Okay, it's it's um, it's a level of uh, rugby league that we don't get to hear too much about. So uh, I'm going to be quizzing you here a wee. But how strong is the uh, Christchurch club team? What's that? What does that comprise of? Yeah, we've got six Premier teams, uh, eight Premier B teams, and eight Div teams. We're um, probably not as strong as Auckland. Auckland have the feeder clubs to New Zealand Warriors, which sort of entices players to stay and sort of that. But at the moment, we've got some really good young kids and we've got some experienced boys still applying their craft here. So overall, I think we're actually pretty strong. Where do you get your players from? Where, where do they come? Is there a rugby league set up at the schools at all or where do you, how do you recruit them? Uh, just through their clubs. You know, um, 
we've got a strong club culture and a few clubs here and a good pathway into rep footy. They go into Scorpions and their schools and then they come into Premier footy and then once they're into Premier footy, they're in the mix for the Canterbury Bulls. But it's a good pathway systems here for kids right now. When it gets to rugby league at uh, this level, uh, representative, of course, in the New Zealand Rugby League Premiership, uh, is there money involved or is it strictly amateur? It's pretty much amateur for us in Canterbury. So um, they're all working full-time and then training two to three times a week at night. So uh, strictly amateur. Okay, uh, Jed, let's uh, look at the structure of this year's competition. Can you fill us in on the pools, etc.? Has it changed? Um, yeah, we've gone from four teams to six now. So two pools of three and you play a crossover game. So our pools, counties, Otago and the Bulls, and we play them and then we cross over and play the Auckland Vulcans. The other pools, Akadana and Auckland and also the Auckland Vulcans. And Waikato, so a um, couple of strong pulls there. Nice to see Otago in the mix. Yeah, they've been, um, they beat us a couple of years ago, three years ago, I think now, and it was the first time they've ever beaten us. So um, they won the South Island Championship last year, but I think for rugby league to grow, we really need to be sort of pushing those teams into Premiership and helping them find a way into Premiership and some sustaining their numbers to be competitive in Premiership. Jed, um, how long does the competition last? So it's five weeks all up, so we've got three games, then we're into a semi and a final, so um, it's a quick five weeks of footy, but, you know, um, playing, getting the opportunity to play the all. Auckland and stuff like that is a massive benefit for our boys, especially our young boys learning that intensity. You know, they're in the balls mix to further their career, their pathway hopefully over to Australia or the Warriors. So, um, you know, without this, they wouldn't get that opportunity to sort of find that intensity footy. So do you um, do you see the presence of, for want of better word, scouts around, uh, people looking at the talent uh, for possible moving overseas or even taking as far north as, as, as the Warriors franchise as such? Is, is there interest from the outside? Yeah, we've got a lot of younger kids now plugged into the Warriors system with SG Ball and that. And they got another, they started their Jersey flag team and they started an SG Ball team, so... We got quite a few kids plugged into that, but obviously Aussie, we lose a lot of good kids to Aussie being here in Canterbury. We understand that we can't stop that, you know. Um, but with the Warriors there now establishing those extra teams, you know, there's a nice pathway, and there's a lot of kids plugged into that. And at the moment with the Bulls, you know, we find the young kids that have just missed that opportunity get that really good opportunity in Bulls, and especially being on Sky Sport, you know, you're on that big spotlight. It's a big opportunity for them. So far with the association uh, with the Bulldogs, has, has there been much contact yet? And if there has, what, what type of contact? Oh, they've been uh, down at grand final day, so uh, Malcolm Hummer, our CEO, has done a good job to teal that up. But I think, you know, this year was just getting everything signed and 
sealed, and I think next year you'll see a really good pathway through to the Bulldogs. So, and looking at uh, your side uh, this year, uh, let's uh, take a, a closer look at your personnel. Who, who are your drivers this year? Who are you, you really key men you're relying on? Yeah, we've got a couple of co-captains in Winelli, uh, Ueli Pinelli and Daniel Hartley. They've been they're in their third year of Canary Bulls. They've been some really good leaders, but also looking for a couple of big boys, Champ Etham and Josh Elioni to sort of add a wee bit of muscle. Is this uh, the right time of, of the year to be playing? Is this the right window, do you feel? Yeah, I think so. You know, the boys are match-hardened after a long club season, and um, I think early in the year, you just probably won't get the best product of footy, or I think all the boys are match-fit. You know, they've had a good club campaign, and it's a good time for them to all come together and represent the Canterbury Bulls, I feel. So you were runners-up last year. Who are the favourites uh, you feel the, the, the hardest ones to crack this year uh, if you look at the teams coming up? Yeah, we lost uh, Akadana last year, but uh, a lot of the Akadana players are playing for the Auckland Vulcans this year. So, um, yeah, I think Auckland Vulcans be the ones to beat. And then, um, obviously, Counties and Akadana will always be strong as well. So start sad day against Counties first start. We're in the Premiership, you've got to win your first up games. What do you know about Counties Manukau? Have you, uh, I would imagine the scouting opportunities are a little bit thin on the ground, so is a bit of it, a, uh, in terms of Counties, a little bit of guesswork, or, or what homework have you been able to do? Um, sort of. Know a few of the players the last few years ago. Um, three or four boys that have been in the New Zealand Warriors Cup team with Geronimo Dorr and Tahi. Bagley and they've got an old head and Jeffro friend that's been in the Warriors mix for a long time so they'll be more just sort of trying to they'll be their main threats we've just got to be smart around them everybody else it's a bit of the unknown so but same for counties it's a bit of the unknown going against us as well uh, Jed, uh, it's been great talking to you, uh, we here at uh, SENZ are thrilled to be involved with uh, the Canterbury Bulls so uh, we look uh, look forward to uh, a great season of success this year with our new partnership and that with the Bulldogs as well. Cheers for your time, mate. All the best. No, no worries. Cheers. Uh, Jed Laurie there, folks. He's the, the head coach of uh, the Canterbury Bulls. Yes, are uh, up against uh, the uh, County's Manukau side tomorrow. Um, that is at uh, you know, Punawai Sports Centre. Uh, that's at 2 o'clock. So uh, in the Christchurch area, you've got a bit going on tomorrow with the uh, all the action out there at uh, Rangiora Showgrounds at uh, 2.05 with the main game between Canterbury and uh, Taranaki. And, of course, uh, you've got uh, Domestic Rugby League to go and look at as well. And races at uh, Rickerton too. So uh, nice fine day. Plenty of options down there in uh, the Garden City. It's 12 minutes past 11. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yeah, we're going to get to Brian very shortly. Uh, just a couple of uh, texts that have come in uh, as well. Uh, a lot on the, the rugby subject, uh, of course. Uh, morning, Smithy. NPC or Super Rugby? For me, NPC every time. It's more personal. Certain clubs have a turn at hosting the NPC games, get temporary seating in, tents with bars and food, carnival-like 
Um, Kevin also adds the Black Caps shocking batting and footwork was anchored. Uh, he's a great analyst there. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that I think is indicative of uh, where T20 cricket t uh, takes. You look at Harry Brook. Even Harry Brook just plants the foot. Uh, and uh, it's just that he's got a big bat and his timing is so superb at the moment. He makes it look quite natural. But uh, that is uh, one of the trademarks there. You get set, you free, uh, go across the leg side or offside, get yourself set in an, almost in a baseball style and hope like heck it's in that general area where you're, where you're aiming. Uh, we need more of our pace bowlers to do more work with the ball that's uh, out and out pace. Keep them guessing at all times. Uh, Smithy one for you and Louie tonight. Louie uh, off a bit crook today. Wish him all the best. Uh, Addington race four, walking on sunshine. Tony Hurley at five bucks. It's Kevin from Tatarangi. Uh, another bet has come in uh, that we might like to follow as well. Juicy multi at Winton today, following Kirsten Green's two best drives. Race two, Jenny Gump. Into race six, Wattle Bank Arnie. That's paying 26 bucks, Sean. Thanks for that. You'll be a very popular man if that comes to fruition. Uh, Graham, uh, formerly uh, from Northland, but now from Marlborough. Morning, Smithy. I can't understand why people keep comparing the Football World Cup recently held here and the spectators that we're getting at NPC Rugby, etc. One of them is a world event with some of the best female players on the planet. Uh, being held down under, of course, people are going to go along. It will be interesting to see how many go along to the Phoenix women's first few games and see if there's a rollover effect. Interesting, it will be, Graham. Uh, also, with the NZRU, if it's not for the club and NPC rugby, you don't have super and international players. Uh, so uh, after grassroots, first get the players out there playing rather than giving them a break after five games, then blaming rustiness when you suffer a record defeat to our greatest foe, the South Africans up the mighty Tanafar. That's uh, Graham from um, Marlborough and uh, formerly from Northland, and I think Tanifar have got uh, Auckland this weekend. Uh, Brian's sitting there patiently. News coming through from uh, Hamish Kerr overnight. Uh, he's bounced back after his World Championship disappointment with a superb second-place finish at the Zurich Diamond League event. Uh, and uh, he has uh, cleared, cleared 233. Uh, he was unable to clear 225 at Budapest last week for the champs when it really, really mattered. But this Diamond League stuff's pretty important. Um, and uh, so 233, which left him just two, two. Uh, centimetres behind uh, the 235 clearance of the winner, Qatari Mutaz Bashim. Uh, he was uh, saying, I, he had mixed feelings about it. I've shown the world how strong I am. I, I'm a little bit gutted I didn't do it last week, but at the same time to be able to crack off an Olympic qualifier and get my best jump I've ever done outdoors after what has been a tough week shows that I can dig deep. It shows we're on right track and gives me a, a lot of confidence going into next year. It's a great relief, but also mixed in with a bit of regret that I couldn't do it last week. Okay, Brian, over to you with the sports desk. Yeah, so um, first story up here, just a bit of a US Open update. Um, Kiwi Canuck, Erin Routliffe, and her partner Gabriella Da De I was practicing this and now I've just messed it up. Dabrowski uh, have won their first round match in uh, what has been described as a bit of a masterclass by the pair uh, in their first major together and will advance through to the next stage at the US Open which is really cool to have a Kiwi representing us at that level in that particular competition. Now D Dabrowski is considered to be levels above Erin's previous partners that she's had and she's had some great success. One of her partners was Layla Fernandez just before Layla um, took on uh, the, the other young star, I forget her name now, at the other, mm -hmm. the other US Open. 
Redicanu. Emma Redicanu. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. So they were partnered just before Layla took off. So hopefully it's Erin's turn now to take off from a partnership, which would be really, really cool because um, you did say you wanted to see a Kiwi emerge um, at the beginning of the year. Kiwi emerge as a major talent in tennis. She's probably our best hope right now right now that we know of at least so um, we'll be watching closely and we'll hopefully get a chance to speak with her again like we used to back in the day when we first sort of um, came across her mm. so um, yeah just looking forward to, to the next round there Smithy Okay uh, excellent any, uh, any UFC this weekend or how far away from that classic Kiwi Australia or that Anzac card and, and what's, what's looking like in the build up here yeah, so um, one more to go before we hit uh, UFC Sydney on the 10th next next weekend. Now, um, we've got uh, UFC France, the big Frenchman, the big French heavyweight Cyril Gunn taking on Sergei Spivak there in the um, in the main event, but the following week is the one we're all interested in. So we, we learned that Kai Kata France had to drop out uh, due to concussions, and that dropped the number down to five, but... In between then and now, the UFC have signed another CKB fighter, a Frenchman named Kevin Jusay. Jusay, I think that's how you pronounce it. Apologies if that's wrong. Uh, and he has booked a fight on that card now. So that's back to six representees for CKB, which is just uh, historic and huge for the sport, not only on this side of the world, but just in general, Smithy. Okay, right. Um, Brian's got a, a leg in the multi. Uh, coming up uh, very shortly as well um, and I can tell you my, my leg was uh, the Rabbitohs to beat the Roosters that'll be tonight and Brian your leg is well I'm going Cyril Garn to knock out TKO, TKO or KO over Sergei Spivak as the method of victory didn't have to pick a round or anything so it makes it a little bit easier and that's at 2.20 now um, okay. yeah. I've got yeah. one more story Go for on. the sports desk yes please do yeah sweet as so um World Rugby's most divisive character, Eddie Jones, uh, one of my personal faves, I just have to put it out there, he's given some context to that now infamous press conference, uh, saying basically what we all knew, it was partly designed to drum up interest in his struggling team ahead of the Rugby World Cup in France, and that he was trying to protect his young players from the negative questions from journalists. Eddie was quoted as saying, you know, sometimes you've got to have a bit of fun, mate, but there was a serious part to it. You know, we've got a young team here, we're trying to find find our way and the journalists all they want to concentrate on was old conversations that weren't even true or smoke and mirrors as we all suspected and they should be worrying about making the quarterfinals from their pool smithy interesting actually uh, i think trying to uh, just trying to uh, i guess smooth things over a little bit without giving too much ground uh, eddie jones in other words saying i can come and do a civil uh, i can do a civil press conference if the need be you reckon someone had a talk to him? I mean, I know he's supposedly not the highest person in the year, but he must have the bit most swing in Australian rugby. You think? Yeah, a fellow by the name of uh, Sir Steve Hansen probably said, when he said, uh, he got any advice for me or have a look at the squad or um, anything like that, he said, yeah, I'll tell you what you should do first of all. And uh, I, I've had a few problems with the media myself. Um, people used to regard me as being a bit frosty, a bit difficult, a bit standoffish. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, you have to have to play ball. You have to answer questions in a serious, sensible manner. Otherwise, it will come back to bite you, particularly if your team's not very good, Eddie. So uh, I would imagine if you try, uh, even though it might be against your grain, to uh, just make amends a wee bit and get them a little bit more back on your side, it might be a little bit more helpful. 
Um, but as far as that concerned, maybe not. Yes, Brian? Yeah, I, I, I've got one more. If you want it, we've yeah, got go, time. Yeah, we've got man. time. Yep. Um, and this one is uh, on Nepal. So England is set to send a weaker team to play our Silver Ferns in the tiny Jamison Trophy, which I, I think they hold. And New Zealand Netty CEO, who we've had on, great communicator, uh, very knowledgeable, Jenny Wiley, has slammed the move as disrespectful. Now, to me, it's probably for a few reasons, right? England may feel as though they have our number now. They've uh, given us you know, a bit of a toweling up on recent times and um, know how to beat the Ferns. They possibly don't rate the series as being very important to their bottom line or their their bigger picture. And um, maybe they just want to rest their top line ladies. They probably want to rest. So whatever the reason is, New Zealand netball aren't too happy. And it has an air of you know, a little bit of the protest sending a B team here to play the, the, the BCs over the summer series. But um, England haven't really offered much of a reason as to why. Now... Do you think they don't respect us anymore? And this does this devalue the tiny Jamison Trophy now? Well, it shouldn't. It shouldn't uh, deny such a prestigious trophy. What it should do is make uh, Dame Nolan's girls very, very determined, um, and you know, absolutely focused on on the job that they have to do, Brian. Um, I haven't uh, read too much between the lines there. Uh, maybe those players are unavailable for various reasons. Um, but certainly it's disappointing uh, and the fact that we finished in our lowest position I suppose means we have to earn our respect back so uh, what do you feel on that? Yeah I totally agree with you I totally agree with you we've got a mountain to climb in terms of football um, a lot of the pundits believe we've got the right people in charge and uh, the right players to do it so let's just see some plans uh, in this particularly in this one let's let's see us let's see our girls give a few hidings to them to just say look you should have bought the 18 it might be might be the, the right thing to go about it right um, Gary has uh, texted and said what Smithy what are your NPC picks this weekend quickly rattle through them Northland versus Hawks Bay um, don't know uh, honestly, this could go either way from my Tani Far at home on a Friday night. Be very careful. Um, I'm picking that uh, this will go right down to the wire. And I think um, Hawks Bay, who've won so many wire games this season, uh, might not get the right end of it. So I'm against the heart. I'm tipping the Tani Far to beat Hawks Bay tonight. Canterbury versus Taranaki. We've talked so much about this this morning at uh, Rangiora Showgrounds. I think uh, Canterbury will just get up, but um, Taranaki, who are used to playing out on the sticks um, when they've had a couple of seasons out at Inglewood, they won't worry about uh, the venue at all. And uh, any team coached by Neil Barnes is going to be very, very competitive. And there, uh, of course, at, towards the end of the competition, Canterbury just on that one. Bay of Plenty at home um, will beat Otago, I think. Um, yeah, not by a huge margin. Otago will be pretty de- determined. Tom Donnelly got that... Uh, Team firing pretty well. North Harbour, Waikato. Uh, I'd be picking Waikato. Um, away from home, we'll pick this one up. I'm sure it's at the North Harbour Stadium. I thought that might have gone to Onawa Domain. If it says it's at North Harbour Stadium, interested to see how many people go there. And uh, the final game of the weekend, Wellington, I think, will be too strong for Counties uh, Monaco. That game is uh, said to be played at the stadium as such. Uh, maybe a smaller venue might have been uh, apt for that one as well. But uh, Wellington, as uh, competition leaders, uh, I don't think they'll have uh, too many problems dealing with uh, Counties Monaco.
the weekend. They're my tips uh, for the NPC, right? 0800 We've got the Arepa drinks to give away as part of Stump Smithy, but also uh, one lucky caller and funds on the board today along with Brian. They'll decide who the players are uh, to line up and play for the multi as well. So 0800 150 Let's head across to the news desk where we find Aroha waiting for us. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Okie dokie. Brian, uh, it's over to you. You're running the cutter today in uh, Louis' absence and uh, it's all to play for this morning in the uh, Arepa Drinks Pack and, of course, uh, the chance to uh, make this multi your multi and add a leg to it. Who's online today? Yeah, mate. So the phone lines blow up again. Remember, if you called us for talk back or managed to get one of the three for Stump this week. You are eligible for this $50 bonus bet. Um, we are going to start today with, oh, it looks like the mate's dropped off. Oh, doesn't want it. Doesn't want it. Hang on. We'll go to Kerry from Manawatu. Kerry, come on in. Yeah, hey, guys. Morning. Yeah, morning to you, Kerry. How's, um, how's, uh, have you calmed down yet, Manawatu people? Have you calmed down after that fantastic win the other night? Uh, definitely had a had a bloody good hangover the next day. I know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I would imagine about, the whole city. Yeah, how I good. reckon they'll give I reckon they'll give Tasman a good run too. Ooh, okay. Manawatu to beat Tasman, maybe. That well, well, I wouldn't write them off now. They'll make a lot of changes. They had 14 changes going to Eden Park. I wonder how many they're going to make uh, for this particular clash. Uh, Kerry, okay, what uh, what are the options for Kerry today uh, when we look at the, um, the, the categories, Brian? All right, Kerry, three categories for you to choose from today. Basketball, rugby, or football? Uh, we'll go rugby, thanks. Rugby it is. And mate, if you don't get this, I'm just going to hang up on you, Okay. The Manawatu Turbos beat Auckland at Eden Park on Wednesday night. How long had it been since the Turbos had won a game against Auckland at Eden Park? Um, that was 1980, 43 years. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and the way it goes. Back over the bowlers. Smithy, you were all over that line. Like yeah, all, all over that. It was uh, one of the big things that Staffy was highlighting too on his show, just the uh, the length of time it has been, 43 years. So, uh, right, uh, one up, one up, one up. Uh, so, uh, away you go, Kerry. Question two, Brian. Question two, Kerry. Who was the most capped active All Blacks player currently oh, in the squad? So, sorry, repeat that. Uh, Sam Whitelock. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well, you, you get into rugby heaven, mate. You get into rugby heaven. So one more. I know Smithy was all over that one. Yep. Who is the only undefeated team heading into round five of the MPC? Uh, that would be... I'm going to take it. Uh, pretty sure that is Wellington. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Three from three, you, you got us out the park today, you get the drinks, you get the bonus bet, Smithy? 
Yep, you do actually. So uh, just repeating, uh, Brian, what uh, leg of your multi is, please? So my leg is Cyril Garn, UFC France, Fight Night France, Cyril Garn, to TKO or KO Sergei Spivak at $2.20. At two dollars twenty, uh, minus the Rabbitohs to beat the Roosters at a dollar sixty-two. Kerry, uh, have you got an option available to us? Um, I was just wondering, do you know what the point start is for man or two? Point start for man or two. Brian's looking that up furiously as we speak. Um, Brian, if you can come forward, with that that would be great. And the point start is how many points? Playing against Tasman. Point start. Uh, Tasman. Today, tomorrow, tomorrow, Manawatu. Tomorrow? When is the game? When is it? I can find the uh, cyclones. Ah, there we go. There we go. Um, Tasman, Manawatu. So here we are. Just opening it up now. Where are we? Points start. Tasman, negative 20.5 at 190. Manawatu, plus 20.5, $1.82. Okay, the man or two point start, eh? Okay. So plus 20.5 at uh, $1.82. Um, and that multis up so uh, all in all to. So three legs. $6. Uh, six, six forty-eight. 6.48. 6.48. Yep. So that times 50. It's over 300 bucks, yeah? Over 300 bucks. Well and truly over $300. So uh, Kerry from Manawa 2. Uh, you have got a $50 multi. You hold the, your hand on the ticket for that, and that is a well over $300 return for you. Um, so uh, we wish you all the best for that, mate, and uh, the drinks will be on their way to you as well. Have a terrific weekend. Thank you very much. You too, guys. Great show. Yeah, yeah thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, 11.38 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we pop on back, uh, we'll catch up with the harness racing side of the calendar this weekend. Now, I think the way they should be here. There's a hole in my well being, and it's so big now. Drive a truck right through. I think you should know that you are the one who could probably be let for good. Well, it's always great to uh, ring people you can rely on to pick up the phone and say, I'm ready for you. And that is the case in our normal harness racing slot at uh, quarter to 12 on a Friday. <coughs> Mickey Guerin, uh, Michael Guerin has, uh, has picked up the phone. Michael, uh, thank you very much for doing that. Harness racing this weekend, uh, well, it's a doubleheader today down south, one at Winton, one at Addington, and then back down to Ashburton on Sunday. Uh, there is, Smithy. Good morning to you. Big hi to all the ECNZ listeners. Um, the actual biggest harness event of the weekend, and one of the biggest harness events of the year, Smithy, uh, is this weekend, but it's in Australia. The world's mm. richest ever 
harness race. So the richest harness race ever run is tomorrow at Menangle. That's a track about an hour from Sydney. It's a race called the Uriah. Now, there's no New Zealand horses in it because it's only Australian bred horses. But the interest will be massive. It's a slot race like the Everest or like Ace by Grins, CNZ is part of. And they've doubled down on the money to the point where it's 2.1 million Australian dollars. Now, that's an enormous amount of money. So no Kiwis. But a lot of hype horses like Leap to Fame from Queensland is very, very good. Catch a Wave from Victoria. And there's even horses with you from Tasmania, believe it or not, because what some states did was buy a slot, then hold their own races to progress to this race. So, look, I think slot racing obviously has taken off in the gallops. It's been very successful for Cambridge in New Zealand and it goes to an even higher level at Menangle outside Sydney tomorrow so while it's not our racing um, these days Smithy what you tend to find is and you would know this yourself from when you're having a beer with your mates on Saturday afternoon the interest in Australian racing is so much bigger than it was 20 years ago I'm actually writing a column about this for the Hill tomorrow morning 20 years ago it was Ellerslie, Trentham, Addington, Alexandra Park, what all people spoke about. In Australia, we would see three or four races um, a, a Saturday. Well, now, people don't really distinguish between racing at Hawke's Bay next week and Randwick, which is three or four minutes later. So it's quite interesting. Mm. While we do have some wonderful harness racing in New Zealand this weekend, and we do have a superior product on the whole to Australia. Um, the Australians will have the focus this weekend. Um, yeah, it should, should be a lot of fun, Smithy. It, it's not our race, but when you have $2.1 million on the deck, well, that's a lot of money for any sporting event, even in a global sense. Well, that's an interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at the field for that, and, and to be honest, uh, Mike, this is a heap of form in there. There's a lot of ones, uh, you know, um, in terms of performance, but uh, this horse that you've highlighted, Leap to Fame, has drawn 13. Uh, so what's that, uh, three or four on the outside on the second line? Over two, four. Big chance. Well, actually what happens with the is, <laughs> it's different from New Zealand. At Menangle, there's four emergencies for the race. They race 10 across the front, so there's no second line. So Menangle is okay. a very, very big track, so... <clears throat> there's no second line. There'll be 10 across the front, so he goes from barrier 9, and the big danger is catch a wave from barrier 8. Um, the trainer of Leap to Fame, Grant Dixon's a hell of a good fella, and I said to him about a month ago, I said, if you could win any race in the world, what would you want to win? He said, the Eureka. It's worth $2.1 million. I said, what about after that? The Hunter Cup, the Miracle Mile, the Inter-Dominion? He said, no. I'd love to win the New Zealand Trotting Cup. He said, I've been there. I know how big an event it is. That's the race I would like to win. So this all ties in because eventually some of these horses I'm talking about now, who people may never have heard of, are going to end up here. I would suggest Leap to Fame and potentially Catch a Wave will be at Cambridge next April for the race by grins where it all ties in together and that's the beauty of it we can't get the best Australian gallopers to come to New Zealand we'll get more gallopers 
this season. I reckon you'll get a few for Karak and Million Night. But we can get the best Australian paces to come for a New Zealand Cup and a race by Grins. And Smithy, that's one of the great strengths of racing in New Zealand. Not only do we have million dollar races, but we also have the allure of a New Zealand Cup where the man who trains the favourite for the Eureka says, if I can win any other race after tomorrow night, I want to go to Addington. He won't go there this season because Addington uh, comes relatively close to the Inter-Dominions in his home of Queensland. But if he stays sound, I think we'll see Leap to Fame at Addington next year. Just on Addington, of course, they race tonight. Um, good race wedding coming up. Yeah, the best race of the night is race three. But also tickets are on sale for their biggest of all dances. Cup Day, Addington, is uh, November the 14th. It's a little bit later this year because it's the second Tuesday and the Tuesdays become later. So the Melbourne Cup, the first Tuesday of the year, is later too. It's November the 7th this year. So a little bit later for Cup Day. Um, those tickets are on sale now. So all those Canterburyans or anybody who feels like going to Canterbury, it's a wonderful week to be down there. Um, you can get tickets uh, at addington.co.nz to go to Cup Day. And I know you've been there, Smithy, and it's, um, mm. it's a very unique New Zealand sporting event. Well, of course, uh, Ashburton is part of the Cup Week uh, uh, plans as well, always has been, and uh, they race on Sunday, and that's uh, just after Trot's Talk, I would assume. Yep, yeah, Greg O'Connor will be hosting Trot's Talk with his Southern Man segment. So that's a segment where he talks directly to the trainers and drivers. So uh, SENZ has been behind harness racing right from the get-go. 11 o'clock every Sunday. If you wake up on Sunday, you have your coffee, you muck around with your mates, and you think, I feel like something relaxing. They have some relaxing harness racing talk there. And then starting next Wednesday, the Harness Race TV show, there's only one, uh, called The Box Seat is back. It's back on trackside from 9am. Or oh, you just go to YouTube. It's up there from sort of 5 o'clock on Tuesday night. And it gives you a story behind the stories in harness racing. So you look out for The Box Seat if you want to know more about harness racing. But if you want a harness racing fix every day, hrnz.co.nz. It's the best website in Australasian racing, I think. It's got detailed previews, reviews, stories about the people involved in the game. And Smithy, every single race wedding in the country, no matter if it's big, small, or in between, has a preview and a review on that website. Uh, think about that. Imagine if every cricket game in the country, every rugby game in the country was covered. That's the case for harness racing. Their website's hrnz.co.nz. For people who want to muck around with the sort of stuff we don't talk about on the radio. Michael Guerin, thank you very much uh, for picking up the phone and uh, helping us uh, through that. Oh, I can't wait. No, I'm going to watch that race tomorrow night at Manangle, no doubt about that. Have a terrific weekend, my friend. Hunt well. You too, Smithy. Nice talking to you, brother. Yeah, cheers. Uh, always good to catch up, Mike. Michael Guerin there. Uh, and at uh, 11.52, we've uh, got a catch up with staff looks like he's out and about today so we'll catch up with that um and joey said smithy you're kidding like saying hawks bay would lose to north auckland uh, i'm taking the bay in a multi and uh, carl says look smithy show a bit of respect to mighty englewood the great dave loveridge the trapper was from the place you call the sticks sorry carl very sorry Eleven fifty-two.